Welcome everyone to another episode of the TKW podcast. We are here today. The Knicks uh, finally are back at home, but they've suffered another loss. Uh, Kyle Maggio joins me. How you doing, Kyle? I'm good, buddy. How's everything going? Brian Giberman joins me as well. What's up, everyone? And before we get going today, just a quick reminder that uh, to catch up on everything that happened on the game, everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks, uh, what we think is going to happen as the Knicks move into the second half of the season, uh, all that can be found at thenickswall.com. You're going to make sure you want to follow uh, myself, uh, Corbo Anthony. There's also Kyle Maggio on Twitter, Brian Gibberman. To spell the names out, you'll find them. Go follow the Knicks wall on Twitter. Follow TKW podcast. Um, yeah, just uh, stay informed. Stay in the know. That's what you got us for. And I would say probably the biggest news to come out of this past week is uh, a little bit of contentiousness between Christoph Porzingis and the Knicks management, the front office. I don't know if you can necessarily say David Fisdale uh, himself, but a little bit of frustration from Porzingis on just the cloudiness around his injury and uh, I, I, you know just uh, just some of the same issues that have kind of boiled up over the course of Kristaps being with the team, especially since he's gotten injured. Um, in response to that, David Fisdale mentioned about Kristaps Porzingis's rehab after practice the other day, saying he's in a really uh, he's in a really a great groove right now with his workouts and his development. Obviously, he misses playing. That part has been hard, but he's starting to get stronger, so he's feeling better and seems to be in a really good place. We're still being cautious, I would say, but at the same time, just pushing, getting to the next level, jumping and moving, his strides and all that stuff. Today, I walked by and just put his hands up to like this uh, because it's just for me, it's like, God, I've got this seven-foot beast here, so I'll literally... He'd say, don't look, coach, don't look. There's a whole bunch of hand gestures in there, which is great for a quote. But all in all, you know, it seems like Fizdale is trying to keep the pace on on Chris Osprezingas, trying to keep him pretty motivated, trying to, you know, tamper out any flames or anything that's going on or any kind of smoke signs that people are trying to read into Chris Ops being unhappy with the Knicks. Uh, a lot of talk of him being a free agent at the end of the year, too. Maybe that's not necessarily a given. Guys, what are you... What, let's start with you, Brian. What are you feeling about Kristaps' relationship with the franchise after what we've seen this week? So the report that kind of stirred this up was from Howard Beck, and I forget where he said it, but it was like at the G League, whatever, where all a lot of team executives go, and it's kind of a joining place for people to go talk trades and talk rumors and all that stuff. He was like, word out of this is that the Knicks and Kristaps's relationship might not be great. What, why, how do other teams or other people, if that, that's not sourced within the Knicks organization. So I don't know. How do you take that? I, I don't think that's something we should take as fact 
that something is necessarily wrong there because it's it's similar to the other reports about Kristaps. All these word of mouth from other people. No one is directly sourcing stuff to the Knicks organization. And until we see something with it directly sourced like that, it's nothing I'm going to pay attention to or acknowledge. Yeah, I just don't see what the big deal is, to be quite honest. I I try to um, look at all these situations logically over these last couple of months whenever Knicks fans freak out about anything. And, like, there's not really an upside to KP not re-signing here. Like, it just doesn't just doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, I don't think the Knicks would let him walk. I think KP just has a ton to lose, potentially. Um, it just makes tremendously little sense for him. Um, at worst, any contention just seems like negotiation tactics, you know, to just try to nudge the Knicks in the right direction, maybe with, um, I, I don't know that the dollar amount's going to be lower that's offered to him, but maybe with some of the injury stipulations they might throw in the contract. Like, I can't really think of anything else that would be happening here. It's a lot of money on the line. You're going to want to make sure both parties are happy and both parties are going to want to be careful about it. That's all that I read this as. Um, I, so to Brian's point about, you know, the, the other NBA sources that are talking about this, or I, I don't put really much stock into it at all. And considering the Knicks can match anything, I, I can't imagine that when push comes to shove, if, if it really were to happen, the Knicks wouldn't match. So uh, the whole thing's just very, very silly to me. I, I don't think that that's what's going on here. I, I don't, I, I honestly don't believe a lot of it. So I kind of wanted to go back to what you said, Kyle, about certain injury stipulations uh, on, on Porzingis's contract moving forward. I think something like that is, is the way to go. I'm curious as to how the reaction is to like, I, uh, who knows? Kristaps's brother has been a very, his also his agent, but he's been a very heavy influence in the Knicks. Whenever the Knicks seem to feel like they've gotten comfortable with Chris Sapp sticking around, you know, something comes out and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of claim to that has seemed to have gone towards, you know, his brother, his management team and everything like that. Do you think anything like this could be a move just for them to try to, you know, make sure that Chris Sapp is going to get the most money that he can from the Knicks? Do you think they're kind of, you know, trying to make sure these stories get out there, or do you think this is just completely coincidental or another team getting a little bit more hopeful than anything? No, I mean, but it's like, it's like when you hear those reports about uh, the Knicks would be interested in uh, trading for or exploring the option of trading for Anthony Davis. It's like, yeah, yeah, of course they are. And 29 other teams feel the same way. Yeah. Like of course, every, every team's always interested. And especially with like Kevin Durant coming up and then everyone's like, Oh, the Knicks are looking into signing Kevin Durant this summer. Yeah. So it's every team that could afford Kevin Durant and even some teams that can't so that they could explore options to move players to make room for Kevin Durant. Like, of course, every team uh, wants to meet with or see Kevin Durant. Like, you know, like it just doesn't like, it's just such an obvious Obvious thing. So I just don't see the outrage over it. Of course, teams are going to be interested. Uh, KP is going to be a superstar. He's he's heading there if he's healthy. Uh, this is assuming full health, obviously, like I am. And um, of course, teams are going to be interested in signing him, period. There's and that's uh, this is a little off, but I don't think um, the Knicks should balk if push comes to sub. Like if he's really going to go try to sign elsewhere, 
you know, to sh- like to avoid the injury protections, like just just pay him, just pay him. Like the Knicks haven't been able to land you a star to. like that that's homegrown. Like I mean, if if you miss on KP and he does become an injury riddled guy and he can't stay healthy and he misses seasons at a time, like you, you kind of just take your lumps on that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how anybody else feels, but like I, you're already basically going to pay him near max or max money with the injury stipulation. So if you got to guarantee it to keep him healthy. And again, the other part of that to me is it's a good gamble because you need to give off that vibe to free agents. Like, Hey, when we get a guy here, that's, you know, that's this good. That could change a franchise around or help us. You know, we're going to make sure we pay him even with the injuries. We're going to put the good faith into him. And, and we think it's a good risk. Like you need the Knicks need to gamble a little bit with that kind of stuff to build the good PR. You can't just, you know, forfeit all your assets and trades anymore and try to cover your asses. Like they've been working to kind of present that new culture and image. Like to me, that would be another part of it. The, the only thing you should be concerned about is if as a restricted free agent, he decides to sign like a, um, he signs one of those three year deals with the third year being a player option while you're trying to keep that money open to go after the max free agents. I, I understand being worried about him doing something like that. So he could hit restricted free agent, unrestricted free agency three years earlier, but that's also very risky for him because he's giving up five years max money just to be a free agent. So I'm with, I'm with Kyle. You just, if it comes down to it and he's going to get pissy about it and you need to offer him the five years guaranteed to keep the relationship good, just do it. And whatever happens, you live with it because you're taking a shot on huge upside. I'm not going to complain about it. It's mm-hmm. not getting that contract to Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. Or even, or even like the Amari Stoudemire deal. When, when to me, honestly, I felt that that was, a justified move given a different context, but sort of similar in the sense, like they had young, decent talent, like in Gallinari and Wilson Chandler. And they're just like, look, we gotta, we gotta sign somebody. Like we just got to get one, one person in the door. So I understood like them giving him the fully guaranteed at the time, but this isn't even that to me. Like this isn't even like you have somebody, how how old was Amari when he signed here? He was 27, 28. Something in that like, range, he was, he was in, a, in, in that range. Yeah. He already had a good, you know, what seven years in Phoenix, and it, he already had his both his knee surgery. Like you knew what you were doing with Amari. Like you knew full well the kind of player he was and his history. Like that's a full career to go off of. Like KP, you you don't have a ton. He's still young, younger anyway. I, I just think this is not like a, a crippling free agent acquisition kind of thing. This is like, look, this is our talent. This is a kid we drafted. This is a kid. Uh, we're going to get healthy and right and do what we need to do and, and to invest yeah. in his future. Like it's a different thing. That, I, I mean, that's a principal difference there. there too. That's yeah. like, that is it's when you're, you know, Amari was not on coming off his rookie deal or anything like that. He was also not the homegrown talent. Like you're saying, like Kristaps has so much more that he can prove. And so like, Amare's knees were already near the end of their career by the time he signed with us. And that was kind of a relatively known thing, but like a big part of Amare coming there was to make a splash because Carmelo was more, more of a known quantity at that point that he would be coming around the Knicks. Um, it's just different where now Chris Stops is a full focus here and he's, you know, like you're everything you're saying, he's younger. And I think just the way that contracts are made today too, like there's more acceptance of some kind of, you know, injury benchmarks to hit or performance benchmarks for players to hit. 
you know, back then it was just like Amari wanted full five years, hundred million dollars. No, you know, no nonsense about it. And there wasn't much the Knicks could do. I feel like before Chris Ops goes out and does anything bold, like sign, you know, the shorter contract, they'll at least have that conversation with the Knicks. Um, can you guys believe I'm just looking back at this now. The Knicks signed Amari Stoudemire nine years ago. Yep. Nine so I, years ago, dude. I was really, really excited about it. Like really. And like, and I knew the risks I was younger, but like I knew the risks and I was still just really, that's how desperate we were for just anybody. Like I was so excited that I was just like, Phew. the only guy I really didn't want them to sign was Joe Johnson to be quite honest. Like unless he was a second star and, and they got Amari. And I remember thinking like, well, it's not the guys that we wanted, but Amari's still really good. Like I could at least enjoy watching some basketball this year. That was my very first thoughts. So, uh, and in all fairness, Amari was really, really good the first season, uh, really before that back injury happened. And then back injuries are very hard to come back from. And he was never quite the same player when he returned. But I, that first season was very much fun for me. I liked the signing at the time. Me now, if they did that move, I wouldn't have been in favor of it. I don't think. I still ride for Amari. Like I, I, I will be in Amari's side, Amari's stand till the day that I die. Oh God, no! I God, I, I like. Listen, I'm aware. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of everything that went down. I'm aware that, you know, in hindsight, probably not the best move for the Knicks to make. Uh, all things considered. But man, I just love Amari Stoudemire. There's just something irrational about it. I will rock with Stat till the day I die. Yeah, and I think I told the story already, but the, the the other soft spot I have for him was I, I won that contest on his website. So I got to go to the open practice because of him to do uh to do a little meet and greet and like that that was a really nice experience. So I, I just I'll always have a soft spot for that. That wasn't the time you uh made a joke about Turioff, was it? That was the time I made that a joke was, about okay. Turioff. That yeah, that uh, Amari did find it funny. <laughs> Earlier on Sunday, Knicks lost a matinee matchup at Madison Square Garden against the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, to get a full recap of that game, head to the Knicks and check out the piece from Mike Cortez. Uh, you can check him out on Twitter at Cortez Era. Um, so we are going to be kind of running a new type of segment on the TKW podcast now. Uh, we're calling it Knicks Tape, uh, bringing back the term from uh, a couple of years ago and, you know, Keeping it alive, but we're just going to deep dive on to some of the more recent games since the last time we talked. And today we are going to go deep into the 76ers game uh, because it wasn't just that the Knicks lost another game uh, and this time lost at home. There was a lot of good that came out of this game, I think. There was, you know, we got Frank Nielakina back on the floor. There's some interesting things from him. Obviously, we had a big game from Kevin Knox, and we're going to talk more about that a little bit later. But uh, getting us started here tonight, Brian, what do you? Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from that matchup against the 76ers? You, you brought up Frank, so we can start. We can start with Frank, and 
that's the type of impact we're looking from him to make. The I think he hit four shots. He made four shots, and I think all four of his layups were at the rim. And most of his attempts were going towards the basket. He took a three. He took a weird fadeaway over Embiid. And I think I don't think it's out of the question that the other nine shots were all in the restricted area. And even when they weren't going in, it was creating other stuff because he had to draw attention to him. How he made that happen was the open space that people give him because they don't respect his jump shot. He attacked that decisively, and it led to a lot of good things. The defense was excellent, and he did it against the player in TJ McConnell, who I know people might not really respect him, but Frank struggled a lot against the 76ers over his career. So it was good mm-hmm. to see him do this in this game. Yeah. I just thought it was a really nice all around effort from Frank. Um, kind of reminded me a little bit of the nuggets game, just like how balanced it was of an attack from him. And he, you know, really got to play some minutes tonight, which was nice. Um, you know, almost 30, he was at 27 and a half, but, um, it just, I, it just looked like they flowed really well with them out there. It was one of those games you could tell, like, he just wasn't thinking. He was just playing. And I said it on Twitter, and that's what really bothers me with Frank, is because now I'm starting to get annoyed with him because games like this, and he didn't even put up big numbers, but it's like you just see the things that he could do and how impactful he is when he's in the game, you know, with him on the floor. And the ball just moves a little bit better when he's flowing like that. And the offense just looks a little bit better. He's engaged on defense. The team defense is a little bit better. And I just, I, it's fun to watch and I mean, it frustrates me because he doesn't do it consistently. And he has the IQ and the skills to do it. The thing is, he just looks so effortless out there today. Like, like he, he made like, a, a couple of passes. Like I think there was one to Hizonia and Hizonia was uh, rolling to the rim. I think they set a little like like a little screen for him at the mm-hmm. high post, and he was curling down into the paint. And uh, Frankie it's, just hit him like perfectly, like a like a like a over the head kind of. I think it was over the head or it was a chest pass, but it was beautiful. It's just and all just, the like the like and even Frank's off ball play. Like he's like he's finding good ways to connect with like all the different guys on the court. You know, you're mentioning with Hazonia there. He's had some nice connections with Vonley, Cornette. I feel like he knew exactly where he was going to be all night tonight and. Obviously, Cornette had a couple of misses to kick things off, but ended up having a pretty good scoring game uh, when all was said and done. But I think the thing that impressed me the most about Neil Akina tonight was just the way that he uh, was moving without the ball in his hand, you know, even just making the one pass or getting it, you know, out onto the wing and then cutting across to the other side and getting open on the weak side. It's just like he seemed to be really able. He just seemed to, in the couple of games that he missed, pick up on exactly what spots he has command over on the floor. And I'm hoping that that can carry over into the next game. Cornette's a nice pairing with him, how Cornette moves around the court, whether it's popping or where he finds open space. And the the passing from Frank today is where you see, you saw that if there's a little bit of structure and I know people talk about how he was drafted to play in a system. And I think to an extent, it doesn't necessarily have to be the triangle but a system that incorporates a lot of off ball movement will accentuate Frank's passing in a good way and kind of help bring out the best version of him and having Cornette and eventually having Porzingis. Those are two guys that open up a lot of space and move well without the ball. And it makes Frank look better as a player. Yeah. And 
to that Frank and Kate, uh, that I'm getting ahead of myself now to that Frank and Cornette pairing point you made. That's actually a really good point. And I know we talked about it a couple of different times, but we mentioned Cornette being a fill in for KP and one of the most effective duos last year, I think if not the most effective duo last year for uh, that team, that next team was Porzingis and Neil Aquina on the floor. Am, am I correct? Am I remembering this, uh, remembering yes. this correctly? No, nope, absolutely. Okay. So it's not really strange to see the offense playing well with Cornette is like that KP proxy, you know, like him just being able to do like 10% of what KP can do that in and of itself, like helps Frank to feel comfortable. Like we saw him last year play really good with KP. And the problem was he wasn't always playing his minutes with KP. And I'm starting to feel like that a little bit more now. Like, do you guys remember that uh, game against the Pacers last year? I think it was in like November, that comeback game they had. And I think Frank played really well with KP, like in the fourth quarter on both ends, like nothing overly impactful. But I, if I'm remembering this game correctly, they're flowing really nicely uh, to to fight and come back in that game, which they ultimately won. And it just kind of reminded me of that with Cornette tonight. Like I got a little like flash of KP back and it was nice to see Frankie comfortable again. And it just it reminded me of that pairing from uh, last year. Makes me excited for the future. There were two games that that kind of happened in with Frank and KP taking over at the end. It was the Pacers game and the Lakers game, both at MSG. Ah, yes, the Lakers game, too. There was a couple of fun ones. So let's kind of dive into some of the other points from the 76ers game. Uh, we're going to be bringing on uh, the Knicks Walls, Ty Jordan, to talk in a little bit about Kevin Knox some more. Uh, so before we get to that, I kind of wanted to touch on, and this kind of goes from the Indiana game as well, but Alonzo Trier is just continuing to struggle out there. Um, he got into the game pretty late against the Sixers. He didn't make it in until the end of the first quarter. And then, like, he was still being aggressive. Like, he's still trying out there, but he's just not making very smart decisions when he has the ball in his hand. I mean, like, so often we see him just running towards the rim and then not being able to get around someone and just be you know, caught completely flat-footed in the middle of the paint and trying to make a pass out of it. It's just he's not looked extraordinarily comfortable over the, you know, ever really since before even Christmas Day. Um, Kyle, do you have any kind of idea of what's really going on with Alonzo Trier? I mean, even with Tim Hardaway Jr. out tonight, he was not able to get the minutes or the opportunities that he you know, hoped for. I mean, the first couple of games uh, that he came back, like from Christmas and then, you know, the last couple of weeks, it looked like he was trying to force the issue too much. And like tonight, he didn't take too many shots. I think he was 0-4 um, from the field, but, you know, he didn't score tonight and it just looked like he wasn't feeling it. So he was aggressive on a couple of, you know, drives or trying to get into the paint, but um, I, I don't really know what it is. I do wonder if he's still injured a little bit, but... He's, I don't know. He's just not, he's just not doing, I feel, I don't know if he's overthinking it, but he's just not, it's not like that same sort of directness to his aggressiveness any, anymore. You know, like he used to be, you knew he was going to get to the rim somehow. Like you knew he was trying to break somebody down to get there. And like now he just kind of seems to be fumbling it a little bit. Like he tries to hesitate at the rim a little bit. Uh, hesitate on the perimeter a little bit too mm -hmm. long instead of, you know, before it used to be like a quick move and then he'd go or um, he was trying to get somewhere with his dribble moves. It doesn't seem like that anymore. And then he's still trying to run to the rim like he was. And 
I'm just, I, I don't know. I, I think he just needs another week or so to kind of get back into the swing of things. He had a really good couple of months, so I don't want to uh, start disbelieving in him. But yeah, he played only 12 minutes tonight. Went 0 for 4 from the field. You know, didn't score. Took two three pointers and missed them. No free throws. He had one really really nice block. It was a chase down block. We wondered if Fizdale was going to have accountability for other young players besides just Frank. And right now we're sort of getting the answer to that. And it's yes, because he is pulling Trier earlier. He's having a quicker trigger with Trier not playing. And I wouldn't be surprised if he got one of those not play at all stretches here soon. He's play. He played 12 minutes against the Sixers, mm. six against the Pacers, even though that was probably the best game he's had since coming back. Yeah, that looked like he was pretty like he was aggressive to a good degree in that game. Like he he seemed to be actually getting into a position to either put up a shot or make it a nice pass. But in this one, it just seemed like he was dribbling into the abyss. Yeah, and and Hazoni's been playing really well too. Like this has gone on for yeah. a good week and a half or so now. So I I just I don't know. Hazoni's just been very direct. Um, he's just been kind of going right to the rim. He's trying to attack. He's trying to dunk on guys now. Um, not now, but Larry, so. that, that I, when he started jumping, I was like, there's no fucking way. And then, <laughs> and, then, and then, and then about halfway through it, I was like, Oh, he, he might actually do it. Like this guy's like unbelievably confident. And then he did, he ended up missing it. But um, he's just, I, I know he's not very good or hasn't been very good this year. He's playing well now, but he is entertaining if nothing else. I've I was continuing to be critical of him, even with the better numbers recently. The Sixers game was the best I thought he played. There wasn't even any of those. Like even though he'd been putting up numbers, there were still a lot of questionable decisions happening, and the bad defense was still showing up. Tonight, I thought the defense was better. He had a couple of nice one-on-one plays. Even forced he had I think two steals off the top of my head that I remember seeing. Yeah, there were two steals, had a couple good passes, rebounded well, and the decision-making was direct. Direct is a very good word for how he's been attacking the basket recently. So even I was impressed with how he played against the Sixers. I thought that was the best, his best game out of prob- probably this season. Yeah, he's just he just seems to be more controlled, or at least tonight he seemed to be more controlled. He just seemed to be... Yeah, you know, he just he just he looks like he's not doing too much out there. His own he does so. That is an encouraging thing to see. Um, did you guys have any other points you wanted to touch on in the Sixers game before you moved on to talk to Ty? It's not a coincidence that the defense was better, and it was thirty six minutes of Dotson, twenty eight minutes of Frank. I mean, ninety. Uh, the uh, I think that those two when we continue to see those two play and then it'd be nice to see this group of who played and just plug in Mitchell Robinson. I think that's probably the best mix that you'll find this year. I'm curious with this game, it's actually really interesting that even with Tim Hardaway Jr. out, Courtney Lee uh, didn't even play a minute in this game. And like, you still had Lance Thomas getting in there. The starting lineup was really interesting for this game, but uh, you still had Lance Thomas going in there and getting a couple of minutes in there as well. But, you know, once you get Mitchell Robinson back, 
it feels like this lineup is pretty similar to the style of play we would see if the Knicks, you know, full on rest of their vets and only played the young guys for development for the rest of the season. And Tim Hardaway include. That's my bad. Add Mitchell yeah. Robinson, Tim Hardaway to this group. And that's pretty much what I want to see play for the rest of the year. Yeah. And I, and I don't want to put too much stock into the offense playing well in this game without Timmy, which I know, uh, it's a common theme. I, I know Brian brought it up on the pod um, uh, maybe a month ago, a couple weeks ago, when Timmy missed that one game and everybody <laughs> replied to Bondi's tweet about how the ball movement was going to be so much better and everything, and then the Knicks couldn't score whatsoever. You remember this? Yes, I do. Yeah. So it's, I, I feel like everybody gets ahead of themselves with Tim Hardaway Jr. stuff, but I think the offense was exceptional in, in like guys like Cornette playing well and uh, Frankie and Dotson, you know, they were really helping keep the ball move. Uh, Cornette had five assists. Like it, it was just a really good uh, team effort. It was kind of like just one of those nights, in my opinion. Um, I enjoyed seeing it. I, I don't think that it really like, like Timmy being out helped that a little bit, like helped them move the ball. But this isn't something that's typical of them um, that we've seen in other games without Timmy when the offense has gone to complete hell. So I, it was encouraging. I enjoyed it very much. I had a tremendous, uh, tremendously good time watching this game. It was very fun, but yeah. I, I wouldn't put too much stock into it. Like, don't I, I wouldn't do the the whole this is why Tim Hardaway Jr. sucks thing. Let's just let's just get ahead of that one. Yeah, the, really, the third quarter. Was the, was, y'all go ahead, Brian. Okay, it was the and it was the defense more than the offense. Right. Close. It was the so the offensive rating for today today was only or for Sunday was only a one hundred four. The defense was a one hundred five point nine. So that's where your real big improvement came. The offense really wasn't that good without him. Yeah. And I mean, like, it, it really manifested itself in the third quarter, it seemed like, where the Knicks held the 76ers to only 17 points, which is like, you know, it was 36 in the first, 30 in the second to pull off a th- uh, 17-point, you know, defensive third quarter after that. That's that's pretty solid for them coming out of uh, halftime. And that's when I could, you know, that's when it kind of looked like the team was getting some confidence going. You know, Knox was scoring like crazy. Neil Aquino looked aggressive with his dribble more than anything. Like, not even just, you know, uh, putting up the open shot when he had it or driving it towards the rim. Like, he was squaring up against Jimmy Butler and beating him off a couple of points. And that was, yeah, that's that's just Uh, an encouraging thing to see. And it's just that kind of tempo that leads the Knicks to, you know, holding a team to 17 points and scoring 32 points of their own. It was just it's just a very exciting thing to see how they played coming out of the half. I wonder if that was a point of emphasis because I wonder if Frank, you know, who doesn't start, I wonder if they assumed he was gonna match up against TJ McConnell a lot. And I think McConnell's a hell of a player, um, especially for the Sixers off the bench. But I, I I think maybe that might have been part of the game plan of like, hey man, like you are bigger and stronger than than TJ McConnell. Like you should be able to get by him with your length. Like uh you know, or sometimes he goes off ball like the Reddicks. Like, I wonder who they thought he was going to be matched up with primarily. And I, I just think that that might have been a point uh, of emphasis to work the ball, you know, to get Frank to work the ball towards the rim. Like, because that's what it seemed like. Frank just, you know, had a very clear role tonight, to, in my opinion. And it looked like he wasn't like stuck uh, making his own decisions. Like, even on a couple of his assists, it just seemed like they were easy reads. Like, there was a pick and roll, I think it was with Dotson. And as soon as the defender came, uh, the the second defender came towards Frank. He was already looking to throw it back to Dotson for the three. So it just seemed like they had a very clear plan for Frank tonight, and I think that speaks to Brian's point about 
needing him to play a, a, a certain way. I think it works better for him that way. But uh, we'll we'll see if it maintains with Frank, because as is always the case, uh, I feel like he can never get too high or too low. Joined now by the Knicks Wall's own Ty Jordan. What's going on, Ty? Hey, what's happening, boys? It's Ty, aka the Handsome Heckler, aka Monster Jordan, aka Half Man, Half Windsor, aka Tyrantula, BKA Bumba Clout, aka Tyrannosaurus Chags. How you guys feeling? Where could uh, people find you on Twitter between all of those AKAs? Oh, you can yeah, you can find me on Twitter at definitely not Ty. Um, so if you're one of those people who const- who like consistently misspell definitely and spell as defiantly, you're probably never gonna find me. Yeah. But. So uh, definitely spell check before you go and look up Ty yeah. on Twitter. But uh, the reason why we brought you on today is to discuss a recent article of yours. Uh, you talked a lot about Kevin Knox's offensive game and where he can improve from now. And I'm really curious to get your input on not only what you had discussed with like his uh, three-point shooting and, uh, and you know, how he, he's a little bit better off the, when he's not dribbling uh, in your piece, but I want to know how, your, how this game from today impacted your thought on Kevin Knox. And, you know, obviously 31 points is a big milestone for him to hit in his career. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have, uh, you know, mentioned it yet, but that's actually more, that's a higher, you know, uh, career high than Jason Tatum, who was also 19 years old. And well, remember no one would, wait, wait, would not. Wait, wait a second. Are you, you're telling me Kevin Knox is only 19 years old? He's 19 years old. I know, right? Wow. Guys, did you, wait, did you guys, did anybody know this? This is development to me. Brian? I, I had no idea. Surely we thought 20 or 21. He is only 19 years oh, of age. He looked like a prime 25 to me. I don't know. Oh, Jesus Christ. He's only 19? And he has a higher career high than Jason Tatum, huh? Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics? Coached by the genius Brad Stevens? <laughs> oh, my God. This Man's is... on the hot seat, I hear. Oh, my... He's coaching, for his... He's coaching for his job. <laughs> He's coaching for his job yet again. That, that com- you know what? That comes with the genius, you know, which is funny. You know, he's on the hot seat, but, you know, he was lauded as an offensive genius as just like, oh, man, look at him with all these parts. All these guys are going down and they're still competing at such a high level. But you got everyone back. But you but you kind of take a step back. Like, it's it's kind of funny, but that goes with it at the same time. Yeah. So let's let, let's let's refocus back on the next yeah. real quick here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, that no. That, that's us. Believe us, we never missed an opportunity to rag on the Celtics. But um, so looking at your piece, one of the biggest things that stood out to me is uh, Kevin Knox's three-point shooting this year compared to uh, his season in the NCAA while at Kentucky. And I'm looking at it now, and at he shot 35.3% from three this season. And this article was written... On January 12th, so that doesn't take into account uh, Philadelphia's game, but you know he's shooting 35.3 percent from three in his rookie season now. 
while at Kentucky, he shot 34.1% from three. And that's most notable because the NCAA three-point line is obviously, uh, you know, closer to the rim than the NBA's one. Um, that improvement, I feel like it's getting overlooked, but you think that's a really big part of his improvement so far, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the thing is, you know, like I, I didn't see him as being a three-point shooter coming in. I thought he would just be average, you know, hover around the league average, which he is kind of at the league average right now, but with the added distance um, and just the um, a shorter shot clock too. We can't, we can't, we can't forget about that, that it's, it's been impressive. And honestly, I'm very impressed with how he's shooting, you know, him being a three point shooter. Um, but I think it really is the fact that he gets the ball or he, they tried, they, one thing they did this last game was they really tried to get Knox the ball, um, like in his spots where he would just need to, Hey, just, you know, toss up a shot and you know, just go up and shoot or just take one dribble, two dribbles. Like you could actually count the um, number of seconds. You should be, you should have been able to count the number of seconds. He had the ball in his hands on possession with one hand. Um, so I think with, the less he thinks about it, um, the better he's the better off he'll be at least from the three point line. That that's one of my favorite things about Knox. You brought it up is that they're not going to have to drill out of them. The holding the ball too much thing. He's always trying to attack quick and move quick and make quick decisions. And if he doesn't do it, most of the time he'll move the ball instead of just standing around holding it and going nowhere. Yeah. And that's what I feel like has been the big thing that's improved with him. Like before his ankle injury to after uh, was just, he coming into his rookie season, like many other rookies around the league, but he was just a you know reasonable amount of hesitant. He thought a little bit too much about when he needed to take a shot up. He thought about driving or not. You know, he thought about whether he can go through the contract or the contact or try to avoid it. Um, you know, and that would often lead to missed opportunities for him. And it just, it feels like ever since December, ever since he's gotten back healthy, he's now just that kind of, you know, he's just quicker at making decisions. And, and I think you're right. That's just, it's added so much to what he can bring to his game. Um, you actually dropped the number here too, that you said the knock shoots 41.7% when he takes one dribble before a shot attempt. Uh, and you know, that's not very impressive, but you also say that that's the highest field goal percentage amongst his dribble, uh, attempts before taking a shot. So it's just like, it, it just reinforces that point that the quicker his decision-making is going to get the better of a player he's going to become. Absolutely. And even just looking at the game today, you can see his three point, um, like his all of seventy five percent of his threes were assisted on. So it's 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 a matter of getting him the ball. So I think it's a matter of really getting him while he's in his his, his sweet spots. He really doesn't have. I don't think he really has a, a like a like a hot spot yet, or you know specific spaces like Kobe had. You know when he played, it was all about just keeping him out of his spots. But I think he he can he can develop those and just. You know, getting him, you know, getting him the ball where he has a little bit of space because he's six nine. He's got the long arms. He can shoot over anybody. Well, almost anybody. We we saw what Joel Embiid did. Um, but I, I really do think it's important get like a, a facilitator, someone facilitating, giving him a little bit of space is so important. Whether it's one dribble, zero dribbles, it's really important for him as a scorer to just get a little bit of wiggle room because he's not quite. He can't make his own shot yet. Uh, he simply can't. Yeah. 
And, it's, and you're right. I mean, you, you stayed in here as well, sharing the court with Emmanuel Moutier and Tim Hardaway Jr. And guys like that are going to be, it's going to be crucial for him and how he grows. His guys who are able to feed him, you know, the ball more at the position that he needs to be at. Uh, you know, it, it's just going to be, he just still needs to be set up right now and everything else is going to grow along with that. But, you know, putting it, so I guess my question then would be, you have kind of Emmanuel Moutier here. You have Tim Hardaway Jr. I'm thinking like we should be playing him as many minutes with Frank Nielkina as we possibly can, correct? Like Absolutely. if, if it's, it's crucial for along with Moutier and Hardaway to be hitting him, you know, where they're, they're already a little bit more developed in how they are as playmakers. But Frank Nielkina, someone who's still trying to develop that part of his game, like I just think it's going to be incredibly crucial to have him out there with Knox as he works on becoming a more efficient scorer. Absolutely. And you already saw just like this game and the one before how effective they can be running in transition. Like, I think this game, I think there was a, there was a possession on this, in this game, he comes and swipes the ball from, he scored, Frank scores, swipes the ball from Embiid uh, from behind. And it was Kevin Knox who ran the break for, uh, uh, in the layup. And there was something very similar in the game before that. And it was just a thing of beauty, just watching them go out there, run, um, get, you know, pick up the pace, get in the paint. And that's where I think both of them can like use their strong suits. Frank's defense leading the offense and Knox being a strong finisher around the rim. Uh, I think they could have a lot of success in New York if they, if they develop and really build some chemistry between each other and just getting up and down the floor, you know, Matt, no matter, you know, whether it's working or not momentarily, I think they they'll find a rhythm um, that'll really start putting the defense on their heels and, you know, getting them nice open looks, even if they, you know, don't end up being, you know, just straight up shots at the rim. Yep. I, I just, I think as, you know, as we move along with the season now, just trying to play as many of those guys together, especially the guys that we need to develop together, it, it's, it's going to be crucial. I mean, we saw a little bit of last night too, where it was just, you know, less vets playing. It led to a little bit more of an open, you know, open floor, open offense for the Knicks. Obviously, uh, you know, obviously Kevin Knox is able to do what he did out there and everyone else is able to cook a little bit. Um, Ty, did you have anything else you wanted to touch on with Knox before we, uh, before we get you out of here today? Um, hmm. Well, one thing I'm, I'm like seeing is a little bit more aggressiveness, not just in the shooting, but you know, other parts of the floor, like he had seven rebounds. Uh, yeah, he had seven rebounds tonight, didn't he? Yeah, seven rebounds tonight, and he hadn't had that many rebounds in, in quite some time, to be honest. Um, he did, yeah, since about mid-December, he hadn't had seven rebounds. And, yeah, he got a little bit beaten up by Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid early in the game. But I liked him staying with it and staying aggressive. And he became, he became I think he became a better defender over the course of the game just by getting into him. Yep. And like not letting these like really strong guys get him down. So I so I'm I'm liking I'm liking what I'm seeing off the ball too. Really am. Yeah, I, I think I agree about the defense. Uh, you know, he kind of rose to the occasion a little bit more. God, I'm just yeah. looking at his numbers again. His box score. He played 44 minutes tonight. That's another thing. That's that's kind of a, is that is that know. too much? Is that pushing Knox a little bit too far? Or is he kind of shown that he can handle it right now? I think with, you know, in his first season, 
you know, you, you just want to get him a lot of experience on the court. I think it's fine. First one or two, you know, seasons he, he plays some, you know, he plays some high minute games like that. You know, he's young, athletic, and when he's playing well, you don't want to take him out because maybe he, something will just click and he'll learn, he'll just learn something new. So I think it's fine for the time being, but you don't want to turn him into like one of those Thibodeau kids where they just have a million miles on from playing 45 minutes a game for like 10 years. I, I That's kind of a scary thought to think about running your stars into the ground. But I think for momentarily, Fizdale's doing the right thing. He saw that he saw that he was scoring consistently throughout the game, which is something we, you know, you rarely see from Knox. So this might be his way of getting over the hump. And if he, he needs to play 44 minutes to get there, I'm all for it. All right. Well, you can follow Ty at definitely not Ty on Twitter. Uh, go check out his new piece at the nixwall.com room for growth, assessing Kevin Knox's offensive game. Uh, Ty, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Nice. Uh, it was nice being here. Uh, <laughs> hit me up on Twitter. Uh, don't forget. I have the periscopes, the tirade um, at, before at pregame, about 50 minutes before every game, I go on the Knicks wall uh, periscope account. You can go on the Twitter too. see me talking about the game, catching up, doing a little bit of analysis, pregame halftime and postgame just in case you want to see a little bit more of my face all right kyle let's get caught up on the next couple of games but before we do that why don't you uh tell the people where they can find some more stuff from us yeah, and uh, Valentine's Day is a month away. So, are you a Knicks fan and need to get a gift for someone? Go to tpublic.com where you can grab a wide variety of our Knicks gear. The first order is 15% off, there's no code. So, uh, make sure you give it a look uh, if you want to get it in time for Valentine's Day for that special Knicks fan in your life. Um, aside from that, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube and Twitch channels for our, you know, film breakdowns uh our podcasts go on there everything goes on there so youtube.com slash the next wall and twitch is twitch.tv slash the next wall we like to do our 2k pregame show sometimes our throwback games um so just some cool stuff coming over there in the next couple of months so make sure you follow us there as well yep um all right so looking at the schedule coming up it's a quiet week for the knicks and that's largely due in part to uh, them having to fly across to London to go face the Washington Wizards at the O2 Arena. Uh, that game's going to be Thursday at 3 p.m. on the East Coast. Um, and then they're also, you know, they don't play another game after that until Monday. So after a grueling stretch, you know, uh, the last, you know, the end of December and, you know, coming back to the Garden and not winning a couple of games there either, the Knicks finally have a chance to rest some legs. Um, it's going to be an interesting matchup with how, I guess, dysfunctional the Wizards are right now, but hopefully this means at least the Knicks can get Mitchell Robinson back in their lineup before they head over to uh, England. I'm really hoping he gets one game in before they go to England. Um, well, that, that would be optimal. But Yeah, well, I mean, their next game is in England, so. Oh, never mind. Yeah. But I, I, I totally lost track of when that game was. Uh, um, it, it sneaks up on you every year. I feel like. 
I'm, I'm very, very angry that we don't get to see the Ron Baker revenge game. Oh, I know. God, come on. They couldn't have kept him for, I mean, they, no, that's, that's a stupid ass. They couldn't have kept him for another week because his, his contract would have been guaranteed for the rest of the season. So, uh, so they know they could not, but it's very frustrating for entertainment purposes that we were denied yes. the 10 minutes of Ron Baker uh, going zero, one, and maybe two in his box score with zero points, one rebound, and two assists with maybe a weird steal and a dive, the quintessential Ron Baker game, and we don't get to see it. No. Nope. Why are you taunting me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't apologize for it. You're lashing out at me in a mean way. It's not necessary. You know, I don't think I've done it. I've only had like one or two lashes out at you since you, you've been out full time, and I think that's uh, if people were betting, they would have taken the over. And uh, I think I've done a respectable job at keeping it, keeping and it uh, level. It's just been it's years of me out. mailing you out. This is true. I don't know yeah. why anybody. If you've been listening to this from the beginning, I don't know how because mm. at the beginning this was unbearable. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was it was just weird, like half cocked rants and um, just just anger, just bewildered anger. There was a so, lot of anger. Yeah. So. Uh, if you are one of the originals, uh, shout out. What do we start? You guys, the Derek Rose here? Derek Rose here, yes. Yeah, that was... What, what, what a year it was. Yeah, what a year to have a podcast. The Knicks are 9-19 and 19 when Mitchell Robinson plays. They are 1-14 when he doesn't. Brian, can you, can you please tell the people, is that good? I mean, I don't know if I would use good, but it's better. Hmm. Just checking. One fourteen. That's a point zero six win percentage. Nine and nineteen is thirty two percent. So they basically, with Mitchell Robinson this year, they're your typical bad team. Without him, they're the worst team in NBA history. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I think that that's about all I can say to that. So, the only, I, I feel like it, the Knicks very desperately need Mitchell Robinson back. I mean. Luke Cornett even struggled before uh, this game against the Sixers, and the Knicks didn't even, you know, really start a center against this last game. I mean, they chose to just have Noah Vonley out there against Joel Embiid, which is probably your best option, regardless. But you know, without Mitchell Robinson there, it's just you're going to be you're going to be overmatched. But I mean, luckily the Wizards are dealing with a lot of injury problems as well. They've obviously got no uh, Dwight Howard, and John Wall is the biggest name that's out as well, who will be uh, out for the entire season. Markeith Morris is missing like six weeks here, so um, there's, I mean, there's some holes to be poked in the Wizards. They still have Ariza, they still have Beal, uh, they still have Otto Porter, everyone like that, but the, I, I feel like this is an opportunity for the Knicks to kind of be able to find some solidity in the Wizards kind of... Uh, whatever they have going on there. I don't even know how to describe it. I feel like the Knicks always get like gobsmacked by the wizards. Like <laughs> it just feels like the, no matter how bad the wizards are playing, like the Knicks have always been the get right game for the wizards in the John wall era. Um, the only good game I remember against the wizards, and this is going way, way back. And this circles us back to the beginning of the pot. But um, was that Amari's like first month? And he just terrorized John Wall one game. This is before they had the jersey uh, makeovers to to be like the Bullets again. But they sell those weird blue and gold ones. But um, he just had like these nasty chase down blocks on uh, John Wall. I think the Knicks won that game. 
Amari was terrific. This is before Melo got there. But outside of that, I just all I remember is just Wall cooking us for a while because we've never had a point guard. And then uh, 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 Beal's done a number on us in recent years. So I I just I have no good memories of playing the Wizards. Mello hit a pretty late in the fourth quarter game winner against the Wizards. I think it was after Dudley had talked crap about him and then he went off. Oh, I remember this. And then uh, so I'll give a prediction. If Mitchell Robinson plays, the Knicks will win this game. If he plays 10 minutes or more, they'll win with him, Cornette, and Vonley splitting all the center minutes. I can't tell you how excited I'm what I am to watch this team without Cantor and Frank and Mitch Pine. Yeah, obviously, obviously no Cantor uh, because he's going to stay stateside in fear for his life. Um, here's my question, though. Do you think that Ennis Cantor has another cheat day while the Knicks are across the sea? Do we think that Ennis Cantor is heading back for... Was that Shake Shack, by the way? I, I don't was know. He but Shake that was Shake Shack? That was tremendous content. I, I I mean, he seems to be at Shake Shack a lot in his cheat days. I mean, I, I'm pretty good at telling one burger from another. And Shake I know Shack you're a vegan, very, very Kyle. Good. You're vegan. Uh, yeah, but I feel and? like... Shake Shack but, makes a, a wonderful portobello mushroom burger. Oh, so they how do, dare they, you. you? You're absolutely right. They do. Are you really vegan? Yeah. Why would you do that to yourself? Uh, as I tell everybody, um, it, it was the only thing I was eating at this point in time was chicken anyway, like chicken and some fish. And I just I started looking at that. I talked to Bailey about it and I looked at what some of the meal replacements are. Like I already eat a lot of like eggplant and uh, like falafel and things like that anyway. So it really wasn't much of a switch. It's just like more of those things now. It really is. It, it hasn't been that they make things like the beyond burger, uh, please sponsor us beyond burger. And, uh, the burger.com slash TKW podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish too. <laughs> and, uh, but, but they, but there's a lot of things like that. Jack for it's very, very easy. I know you don't believe it. I know this doesn't elude me from the jokes here, but it's, it's really very easy. And I don't really miss going back. Painted, to don't you have to like do a lot of like prepping and cooking though? No, I mean, you're eating more vegetables. So yes, but it still really isn't that bad. Like what I try to do to kind of cheat is like, I just have a really big ass green smoothie in the morning with like as many servings of vegetables as I can fit with some fruit. And, uh, I just have that to try to like cut through a lot of, uh, I, I guess like the cooking, the vegetables parts. So like throughout the day, I just have some proteins and uh, you know the other nutrients that I need. But it's it's not that. It really isn't that bad. God, I had a huge plate of chicken and waffles earlier today. You give me your meal. Can't get that. I can get the waffles. That's true. Yeah, but not with the fried chicken. You're missing part of it. That's okay. I like waffles. I went to an Italian restaurant brunch and ordered chicken and waffles which is probably the least italian thing on the menu while my very dutch girlfriend got uh you know chicken carbonara wait they had chicken and waffles at what kind of italian restaurant is this uh, it's a midwestern one so you it's know, not an italian it's restaurant just, uh, and, and they, you can go to any restaurant around chicago and they will have a brunch menu that will have chicken and waffles and some kind of benedict on it and any any restaurant you want I guarantee you. All right. That's strange. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's just that Midwest, good old Midwest cooking, which just means fry everything and cover it in butter. 
Um, well, dietary uh, options aside, did you guys have anything else you wanted to discuss tonight before we got out of here? Well, no, um, I, I think we got it. In that case, uh, thank you everybody for listening. Thanks for uh, thanks to Kyle and Brian for hopping on. Thanks to Ty for coming on as well. Don't forget to go check out his piece at thenixwall.com and all of our great content up at thenixwall.com. Uh, like, rate, review this podcast. Subscribe to everywhere on YouTube and everything like that. And we will talk to you all uh, on Wednesday night or Thursday morning, whenever you listen. Take care, everyone. Thank you.